Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Director of Performance at the Melbourne Storm, Lachlan Penfold. Thanks for tuning in to episode 145 of the Pacing Performance Podcast. So as always, delighted to welcome this week's guest, who is the Director of Performance at Melbourne Storm, Lachlan Penfold. So Lachlan has an incredible CV coming from um, rugby in Australia with the Queensland Reds, over to uh, Brisbane Lions in the AFL, then over to Golden State Warriors in the NBA, and then his current position as Director of Performance at the Melbourne Storm in Rugby League in the NRL in, um, in Australia. So unbelievable CV and naturally we spend a lot of time discussing his time in the NBA with, with Golden State, uh, given the success that they had uh, when he was over there. So really good chat with Lachlan. Um, he always also discusses his influences and his time with working with Kelvin Giles who is also a, um, a former podcast guest of number 84. So, great, great uh, episode coming up. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. But just before we get into the chat with Lachlan, just want to say a massive thanks to both Forstex for sponsoring this episode today and to Val Performance for also sponsoring this episode today. So, with regards to Force Decks, if you want to know more about their Force Play and software solution, make sure you listen to episode 139 of the Pace Performance Podcast, where their uh, co-founder, Dr. Daniel Cohen, talks about Force Decks as well as uh, everything to do with jumping, basically. Um, with regards to Val Performance, if you want to know a little bit more about uh, what them guys do, feel free to check out their website at valperformance.com. And also encourage you to listen to uh, my recent episode with Dr. Anthony Shield, um, who is one of the brains behind the, the Nord board. So definitely check them out. So over to the podcast with Lachlan. Hope you enjoy and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this morning, absolutely delighted to welcome uh, Lachlan Penfold, who is the Director of Performance at the Melbourne Storm. So welcome to the podcast, Lachlan. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. That's good to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, now you've got a um, superb CV. Do you just want to take us through your kind of background, your education, and what you're currently doing? Yeah, sure. Look, um, I'll try and keep it brief. You know, there's been a few years, so... Um, you know, at the moment, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm currently the director of performance for the Melbourne Storm. But um, you know, I probably started in this game about 25 years ago. Um, went to uni like most people um, out of school and thought I wanted to be involved in sport, but didn't know what. So I thought, oh, PE teacher must be it. But quickly realised I didn't want to deal with kids all my life. Um, and so, you know, I, I discovered that there was a world of um, you know working with athletes um, in the area of strength and conditioning. And so that's the path that I pursued and, and um, you know, I did my human movements degree at the Queensland University and, and then sort of started to try and work with athletes and sports. And early days, I, I worked with the, the scholarship holders from Queensland University um, and then started into baseball, which um, was my first foray into, let's call it professional sport. 
Um, you know, they had an Australian baseball league and I, and I started working there. Um, and, and things just sort of snowballed, you know. You start working one job and you, and you move on to another one. And so into the, the what was then the Sheffield Shield Queensland cricket team, um, started working in football with the Brisbane Broncos as a under-20 strength and conditioning coach. Um, and then, um, you know, the Queensland Reds Rugby Union in the first year of Super 12, um, South Queensland crushes in the rugby league and then into Olympic sports. So I got um, in the in the system, so to speak, in the AIS system. I didn't work in Canberra, but I worked with a number of AIS sports, um, the women's softball, the, the women's water polo, and, and um, worked in those sports for a number of years. You know, I went through a couple of Olympic cycles with them. Um, you know, and they had some good success with a number of medals there. Um, worked with individual athletes like the swimmers, track and field athletes. Um, worked at the Queensland Academy of Sport, which was a great environment for me back then um, in terms of learning um, my craft. Um, and then moved on into AFL with the Brisbane Lions, rugby league with the Sydney Roosters. Um, some consultancy work with you know, Narbonne Rugby Union, Red Bull Motor Racing here in Australia. Australian Sevens program, Golden State Warriors, and now back to the Melbourne Storm. So um, all that over the course of about 25 years. Um, you know, I started off as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, in early days, you sort of, um, you know, you might be a strength coach in one sport, and so you start to develop your skills and abilities in that area. Um, you know, I worked in baseball, so that's predominantly a speed power sport, so I developed my skills and abilities there. Coach some track and field, 800 metres, you know, develop, you know, good uh, endurance base or, or endurance knowledge. Um, and so every sport that you do, you add skills and abilities there that hopefully make you better. And, um, you know, that's how I started out. And as you progress on through that path in life, what happens is you, you sort of become the head strength and conditioning coach and then, you know, things start to happen like, as we discussed earlier, you know, GPS gets added in. Well, who's going to look after that? Well, I will. So then you start, you know, delving, delving into GPS and sports science and those sort of things and you end up, you know, coordinating different areas of the program and then, you know, that, uh, let's call it that director of performance, head of performance roles sort of started to to develop or morph from those sort of, um, you know, areas. And, and so it's probably people were doing them back in – Back in the 90s and early 2000s, but it probably wasn't, didn't have that official title, but, you know, it's become, I guess, a bit more specialised now in, in terms of that area. So, um, yeah, that's how I started off. That's where nice. I am now. Did you, um, did you work with Kelvin Jails? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, Kelvin was was one of my early mentors and, you know, I've had a number of guys or people that have mentored me through my life and, and Kelvin's, you know, right up there with, with the best. Um I originally first met him, I was coaching a, a, a girl, Sandy Dawson, who's an 800-meter runner. Um, Kelvin was coaching um, a lady, Michelle Locke, who eventually became his wife, um, as a 400-meter runner. And, you know, we'd be out at the track often at the same time. And, um, you know, I'd, I knew about Kelvin. I'd heard about him. Um, and one day I just sort of went, stuff it. I'm going to go up and ask if I can come along and talk to him because he, he was always a fairly uh, gruff old man at the track and, you know, a little bit scary. And, um, so anyway, but, you know, he was, he was absolutely fantastic. So he was at the Broncos at the time and um, he's like, look, certainly come along, we'll have a chat. And, you know, I turned up to the Broncos one day and um, 
when you get to know Kelvin, you know he loves to talk and he loves to share his knowledge and experience. And, you know, we sat down. I, I was thinking it was going to be an hour chat and that would be it. And I'm away. And, you know, we probably sat there for three or four hours and we went through everything. And, um, you know, I'm like, shit, this is so good. I, can I come back tomorrow? And, um, you know, to his credit, he was willing to, to give everything that he knew to me. And, um, you know, we, we became, you know, really good friends and, um, obviously, we had a, a common interest or love of track and field, and and also of um, you know athlete preparation. So, you know, there were many times on a Sunday I'd just go around to his place and we'd sit there all day and just talk shit, you know. And um, I don't see Kelvin anywhere near as much as what I'd like to now, but you know, whenever we catch up, it's the same old thing. We can just sit there for hours and talk shit. Most of the time, he's doing the talking, I'm doing the listening. But um, you know. <laughs> That, that's the beauty of, of having a guy like him as a mentor because he's got so much knowledge and experience and, um, you know, he, he's a really great person to learn from and, and, and a really great friend for me. So, yeah, he, he was one of the blokes that started me on my on my path and my career and I'm forever grateful for that. Superb. So talk, talk to us a bit about the transitions that you've made between sports mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit about the kind of process you've gone through in the initial stages of that transition to kind of get up to speed and not only on the kind of physical side, but on the cultural side as well? Yeah, sure. Look, um, you know, I think, I think um, we're lucky in the fact that, you know, skill coaches often are, are stuck in a sport. If you're a rugby league skills coach, you know, maybe you can take that skill to rugby union, um, but you can't really take it to soccer or basketball. But you know, whereas we're able to to take our skills and abilities to to many different sports. And as, as long as you've got the the foundation of of human movement and, and the basic principles, um, yeah, and you've got a keen eye and you want to observe and and look at how you can apply those those um, you know principles into each sport, I think can go a long way. Um, you made a good point about the culture of a sport. Every, every sport has its own um, you know, culture, it has its own routines, um, you know, how they go about things. They might be the best way, they may not be the best way, you know, but you need to spend some time observing, learning about that sport and, and how they go about things and, and hopefully you can apply um, knowledge from, from other areas or other sports that, you, that you've been in. Um, you know, to the to the new sport that you work with, and and you know a lot of things are related, be it from a physiological, biomechanical um, perspective, you know, uh, motor learning perspective. Yeah, um, there's plenty of ways that you can do that. Um, yeah, so cool. And and from a, from and again looking at a transition um, from from what you've kind of done in the past from the from the coaching side of things mm-hmm. to the director performance side of things, what's Obviously, you're not. I'm guessing you're not as hands-on in this particular role as you would have been ten years ago. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, and I think uh, for me personally, one of the areas where I really battled as I started to, you know, move into a head of performance role was because I'd come from that. Um, let's call it strength and conditioning coach or physical preparation coach, um, and I was used to writing. And delivering all the programs in strength and speed and in, in conditioning work, um, and then you're also trying to trying to um, be that director of performance role. You really can't do it um, very well, I don't think. And it was um, Trent Robinson, who was a coach at the Sydney Roosters at the time when he came in. He he sort of said, "Look, you know, I want you to be 
more hands-off so that you can observe and watch and get a better idea of where our program needs to be. And for me, I guess still in the mindset of a physical preparation coach, I battle with that because in some ways that's where your identity is. You know, you're the guy who's writing the programs and delivering the programs. You're out on the field with the players, you're in the gym with the players and you're doing everything with them. Um, and then when you sort of remove yourself in some ways, you know, the players may not notice it as much, but you certainly do. So it's a difficult thing to be able to to transition to. Um, but without a doubt, if you want to do that director of performance role, it is the best way to do it. Um, you know, and I remember reading a, a a little passage from Alex Ferguson where he said in his early days when he was coaching in Scotland, one of his assistant coaches came up and said, look, you know, you're wasting your time having us employed because we do nothing. He goes, no, 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 you're really important. He said, look, you don't let us do anything. All we do is set out witches hats. You do all the coaching. You do everything. We're just wasting our time being here. And Ferguson's like, no, 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 I really value you. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you do this? You sit in the stands for a week and let us coach and see how it goes. And, and Ferguson, you know, struggled with that. But, um, you know, he did that and he was amazed at how much more he saw from being able to observe rather than being coaching. Because when your head's in it all the time, it's very hard to have a, have a broader perspective. And that's what I found, um, you know, when that year at the Sydney Roosters is that while I battled with it in some ways because you weren't doing as much coaching as what you're used to, you certainly were able to see the bigger the bigger picture, so to speak, um, and you know you, you can make better decisions in terms of that director of performance role. So, um, yeah, that, that was a uh, a really important transition for me to make, and a, one that I struggled with initially. But without a doubt, it's it's the best thing for you if you want to go into that sort of role. Mm-hmm. Oh, just on that, just delving a little bit deeper, as, even as a coach, for it, like where you were pre-roosters, would it have been a bene- beneficial to you to? to do exactly the same and not only obviously move into the director performance but step back let somebody else coach and you just observe yeah look is that a practice that could have been useful for you oh without a doubt um you know i think like i look back at my time at the brisbane lions um you know and you know i had some really good assistants there a guy called alex moore um initially who, who went to u.s skiing and then to, he's at the cleveland cavaliers and then um a guy called dan comerford who came from uh, you know, Collingwood, Port Adelaide, um, and and I didn't let them do enough, um, you know, programming and coaching. Yeah, I, I just know that I didn't, and, and I feel guilty for that. But without a doubt, if I had done that, I would have had a better um, broad perspective of where we're at and what we needed to do. Um, like you said, sometimes your, your head's so much in the game that you just, you know, you, you can't, see the forest for the tree, so to speak. So, um, yeah, look, I, I could have done a much better job back then if I had have adopted that philosophy. Um, but, you know, life's about learning and as long as you learn and make the adjustments, hopefully you're going to get better. If you if you don't learn, then um, you probably keep ending up making the same mistakes, don't you? But, yeah, without a doubt, that that would have been a lot better for me to, do, to have done. Maybe my coaching skills might not have been as good because you obviously – you get better from coaching by doing it, you know. So, um, but yeah, it's give and take, isn't it? Cool. So, I just want to touch on your time in America yep. with the uh, with Golden State. What what big lessons? Obviously, uh, looking back, what big lessons do you take from that time over there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Look, um, 
you know, I, I said to you earlier, my time there was certainly um, what I'd phrase interesting. Um, it, it's a different world compared to what we're used to here in Australia and probably I think Australia and England are a little bit more aligned. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. But, you, you know, to be really honest with you, the, the NBA is basically, in my mind, it's a travelling circus. You know, it's about entertainment, not so much performance excellence. And I'll qualify that by saying the, the players there are incredibly talented basketball players. You know, they're unbelievably skilled, um, you know, but the scheduling that they have doesn't allow for them to perform at their best every time they go out there. If you're playing on average four games a week, sometimes you play five games in a week and it might be in three or four different cities, you can't perform at your best every time you go out there. Um, but, you know, in some ways it's probably not what the what the uh, desire of the, of the regular season is. It's to have a whole lot of games, take the game to the people, make a whole lot of money, you know, and, and they do that very well. But, you know, you can't tell me that performance doesn't suffer when you're playing your fifth game or fourth game in five days, you know, and you're in your third different city and, and something like that. You know, it's just, um, it's crazy. So, uh, you know, one of the, I guess one of the things I, I did learn was that it wasn't about performance excellence. It was about entertainment. Um, you know, and, and because of that, you're working in a compromised performance and training environment, you know, the whole time. Um, and so you have to, I guess, change not so much your philosophies but your paradigms about what is, you know, um, an acceptable amount of work and what needs to get done. Um, you know, you can't apply the same training standards that you have in a, a rugby league competition where you're playing every six to eight days to a sport where you're playing, you know, every not even every second day, more than every second day. Um, you know, when you're traveling so much, you have to you have to adjust your paradigms about how you're going to work within that. Um, yeah, and so there's, there's always this battle between, I guess, optimal versus practical versus actual um, in everything that you do, be it training, in it, be it um, you know, even simple things like, uh, you know, what's the best travel schedule? You know, like if you're trying to work out what's the best from a, a sleep perspective and, and, you know, we had some people that uh, you know are recognised sleep experts, and they, they're telling you how you should travel, you know, when you should fly and when you shouldn't. Um, the optimal is is one way, but the actual or the practical are, are sometimes different things, you know. And so you're always working in this world of compromise. So um, yeah, that that was, um, I guess, difficult at times to work with, um, but you have to deal with it and adjust just to it, you know. So. Um, that, that was a really big lesson for me, I guess. Um, you, you know, one of the things that you have to give, and, and I'm sort of, I guess, in a way, having a bit of a go at the, the NBA schedule here, but one of the things that you have to give the players their, um, you know, great credit for is their ability to just get out there and play no matter how they're feeling, um, which is a, you know, a level of professionalism, as in, I'm a professional. I'm getting paid to do my job now. I just need to get out there and play. You know, um, football codes, especially in Australia, where it's a bit more travel than than Europe, maybe. You know, if you've got a six-day break and a travel, and then another six-day break and a travel, everyone falls about and talks. Oh, this is terrible. How can we do that? And, <laughs> you know, there's one stage we played seven games in 13 days. We basically crossed America four times. You know, um, the boys were they were absolutely screwed by the end of it. But, you know, we, the last 
We had a double overtime in Boston. We landed in Milwaukee at like 3.30. We get to the hotel at 4 o'clock in the morning um, and then they've got to get up and play the next day. I think it was at 6 or 6.30 at night, you know, and that was their seventh game in 13 days and they are absolutely flogged. Um, you know, so that ability to just put your boots on and get out there and do it, that, that was pretty impressive for me, you know, like just a, a mental resilience and toughness um, that maybe you might not think would, would come about in basketball, yeah. So I mean, I, one, one thing that comes into my mind, it's a question I want to ask is when, when, when I go into rugby league clubs over here, you kind of go into a small little office and, well, I'm just thinking of one club in particular, the manager comes in, introduces himself, asks you if you want to, if you want a coffee, why you're here, what you're doing, who you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, approachable guy, could be anyone, could be a in all due respect, a guy off the street and you wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing the NBA is completely opposite of that. Yeah, 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 very very much so. And, um, you know, like obviously you um, you probably envy the the money that the players earn, but you don't envy the lifestyles that they have mm-hmm. to live yeah. um, in terms of, you know, Steph Curry can't just go out, take his daughters down to, you know, to the local shop because he just gets mobbed. Um, you know, the first time I got there, um, after I'd been appointed, I, I met Steve Kerr in Las Vegas because Summer League was on, you know, um, and Steve's a coach. He said, oh, let's go down, we'll have breakfast, you know, we'll have a chat. You know, within, we were there for probably an hour and we would have been interrupted at least 15 to 20 times, you know. People came up, oh, Steve, just want to say congratulations, how good it is. You know, you can't even have a normal conversation in public. Um, yeah, so, you know, you know those sort of things, um yeah, probably somewhat annoying for people, but obviously there's a flip side. When you're very well recognised in, in a big country like America, it's probably because you're good and therefore you're probably getting paid a whole lot of money. So um, I don't feel too sorry for them, let's say. So we're going to take a very quick break in the chat with Lachlan. Hope you enjoyed part one. Just want to say in this little segment, a big thanks to Coach Me Plus for sponsoring this episode today. So if you want to know a little bit more about Coach Me Plus or athlete management, athlete management uh, systems in general, simplyfaster.com did a nice little review uh, talking about the, a little bit about the ins and outs of basically what an athlete management is, athlete management system is, what it should do, um, what maybe a little bit about what it shouldn't do. So on the back of that, Coach Me Plus uh, have done an article, uh, Brad at Coach Me Plus did an article on Simply Faster following up that. Uh, initial article the review um, so if you go to simplyfaster.com uh, and put in coach me plus athlete management system for decision making uh, there's a nice little article on there which tells you a little bit more uh, who, who coach me plus are uh, and basically what they do who they work with etc um, so massive thanks to them guys for sponsoring this episode today so we're going to get back to part two with Lachlan hope you enjoy I'll speak to you soon so obviously, with them kind of schedules, recovery is obviously a, a huge part of of what you what what the remit for for the performance team it actually is, mm-hmm. rather than maybe performance enhancement. It's just getting through the next game, the next game, the next game. Yep. What kind of methods did you employ mm-hmm. in at Golden State that were um, that you've maybe been able to maybe not bring back, but um, kind of educate yourself on? Um, what is actual, not necessarily optimal? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Look, I mean, um, well, I guess firstly, um, you know, I'm a big believer in um, 
your recovery process starts with your training, okay? Because if you if you overtrain people or if you do too much, no amount of ice bars or whatever other recovery method you want to use is going to make up for a poorly designed training program. You know, so that's the first part that you need to get right. Um, and uh, you know, I guess we were we were lucky. Like um, you, you talk to some teams or people in some teams and, and the training schedules that they use or that, that they have, and you know, without a doubt. I'm sure their players have been overtrained. You know, like uh, I was talking to one person, and the loading that they did for. Uh, so I'll, I'll go back a step. In, in basketball, oftentimes when you have a game, um, if it's not a back-to-back, you'll have a, a morning shoot-around where you know you go th- you go through a few of um, things that the opposition might do. You go out and you have a bit of a light shoot. You know, you might be on court for half an hour at most. There becomes some individual time where players go through certain routines. Um, and the loading that they were doing in that morning shoot-around before a game was more than what we'd do if we had three days break between games and we had a hard training session in the middle of it. Um, you know what I mean? Let alone what they were doing on their hard training day. So um, I think that's the most important thing is is you need to get your training loads right. And, you know, we had a coach, Steve Kerr, and um, who, you know, had played for 15 years and, and he understood you know, about the the grind, let's say, if you want to call it that, of an NBA season and playing so many games and travelling and that sort of stuff, um, and and the uh, the beauty of being fresh. Um, so that that was the most important thing that we got right. I feel, um, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I wouldn't. Every, everyone looks at. Um, American sports and you know NBA is as a pinnacle of, of sports performance, and as I said, the the players there are unbelievably talented, skilled players, and they are the best in the world without a doubt. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens in the NBA is, is world leading. And um, to be honest with you, some of the recovery processes um, were poor. Um, you know, a number of you know simple things like basic water therapy, pool sessions. Players hadn't even heard of it, never done it before. You know, the standard was sit in the cold for 10 minutes or maybe do a bit of hot and cold. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot more. Sometimes, you know, obviously some flexibility work. Um, you know, the uh, recovery boots like the Normatec and that sort of stuff got a bit of use. Um, one thing that I tried to make sure was that we had a lot of hands-on manual therapy, especially massage. Um, we utilised other... Um, Modalities like acupuncture, um, not just for uh, muscular pain, but you know, in terms of just trying to tap into some energy meridians. You know, so we had a pretty skilled acupuncturist there. Uh, we we also used some chiropractic work. Um, big things that we also tried to do were sleep. So making sure that we didn't um, you know overdo or, or start training too early, so players were still allowed to sleep. You know, if we had late late finishes or late nights, you know, we made sure that we'd start training late so the players could sleep well. Um, we, you know, we talked to them about their sleep. Um, you know, so there's, there's that whole physical side um, of recovery. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we did introduce, um, which will tap into the physical and let's call it the emotional mental, was um, some float tanks. Uh, you know, so that was a, a thing that a number of players 
I don't want to say latched onto, but but found really beneficial. So obviously you've got the um, physical aspect of you know uh, a high powered Epsom salts bath, you know. So, um, but also when you have to sit in or lie in this case in a little room and no one can contact you for an hour, um, I think that's a, a marvelously liberating thing <laughs> for them for their mind, you know, because like any young person today. The phones are always with them. They're always on their phone. They're always getting messages, you know, this, that, whatever else, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the hell else, Snapchat. Um, and to actually put it outside, go into this float tank and lie down there for an hour and just be with themselves and, and have some peace and quiet. I, um, I think that was probably the bigger aspect to, to that element of recovery rather than the physical of the of the salt baths. So, um, you know, that, that was really important. Um, one of the things that I think that we did really well over there was um, we did blood testing. We did blood testing on a number of occasions throughout the year, and from that we found deficiencies and we we supplemented um, based on each individual's deficiency in certain areas. You know, a classic one for, for a lot of basketball players is vitamin D. Um, you know, African American athletes are normally or African Americans are normally low in vitamin D. Plus, you're inside all the time. Um, you know, we had some guys at really low levels that we were able to improve. Um, other, you know, simple areas, magnesium, omega-3s, um, whatever else. You know, we found some, some um, other more specific things to individuals that we were able to correct through that. Um, and, you know, I think that made a, a really big difference. I had a number of, um, you know, veterans that have been playing for eight, nine years come to me at the end of the year and say, you know, that was the best they'd felt all year. Normally, they they tended to hit a hole around about February. Um, you know, they often got sick throughout the year. You know, we we rarely had anyone get sick throughout that year, and they all said how much better they felt throughout the whole course of the season. And, and a number of attributed a number of them attributed that to some of the things that we did in terms of their supplementation, also their nutrition. You know, like we tried to make sure that we had healthy, wholesome, nutritious meals all the time. Um, you know, without being someone who's going to bash the, the carbohydrates and processed foods, but we went towards a more um, proteins, vegetables, fats-orientated diet. We tried to get as often as possible organic whole foods, um, you know, clean clean foods. You know, we, we tried to do away with as much of the processed foods and the, and the heavy carbohydrates as we could. Didn't mean that they didn't eat them, but we certainly, when we provided two meals a day, if not three, we're always going to give them good, healthy food, and and I think that had a big part to do with it as well. Mm-hmm. Do, do these guys have their own chefs a lot of the time? Some of them did. Them? Yeah. yeah, some of them did. Um, you know, so when 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 we're at home, we would give them breakfast and lunch every day, um, and if we had a game, they'd also get dinner. Um, and when we were on the road, we'd give them breakfast, lunch, and dinner as well. So um, they had a lot of meals catered for them, but often they would have. Um, a personal chef or not, no, a number of them had a personal chef that would come in and cook some dinners for them. You know, they might come in, cook dinner and cook another two or three that they'd have in the fridge, you know, for, for those other nights. And, yeah, we normally had an excess of food, so the, some of them would take that food from lunch home as well, you know. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a, a really good um, injury record in the, the couple of seasons that you were there? Yeah, 
Yeah, I was only there for the one year. I mean, we, okay. we drafted. Yeah, we drafted a player who needed a hip reconstruction or uh, yeah, a label repair, um, and so that sort of put a dent in in the injury stats, so to speak. But outside of that, yeah, we were pretty good. You know, um, the problem with the whole injury stats um, when you rely on teams to self-report is that you know. Sometimes team and not everyone, but sometimes teams put down players as being arrested when they're really injured, you know, and and they've been rested for two weeks, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> sit so on, sit on crutches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I oh, know he's just resting, you know. So, um, yeah, look, you pay some heed to those sort of um, league-wide injury stats, but you also treat them with a grain of salt at times too, you know, because sometimes people are looking to protect themselves or their jobs by how they um, go about reporting things. But, you know, on the whole, we, you know, we had some, you know, we, we didn't have too many injuries at the time. Um, uh, and, and the other thing you have to understand is in the NBA versus a lot of other sports, the, the players are on guaranteed contracts. So if you sign a four-year deal for $80 million, it doesn't matter, and you're in year one, it doesn't matter if you don't play for the next three years, you still get your $80 million. So um, in... Rugby league, that you know, AFL, the sports that I worked in, there's always this rush for players. They want to get back and they want to keep playing. Whereas in the NBA, what I felt was that there was a certainly not a reluctance, but a um, a desire to make sure that they, you know, didn't rush back. That they took their time and made sure that everything was absolutely perfect before they came back to play. Um, yeah. So you know, sometimes you know what might be a two week ankle injury in rugby league might end up being a three-week ankle injury in the NBA because, you know, they want to make sure that they're right and there's no need to get out there and play because they're not relying on match payments or something like that. So, yeah. Do, do they, I mean, you can veto this if you want, but do they see themselves as like they're obviously protecting themselves because they're, they're almost, I mean, this is from the outside, but almost see themselves as a kind of business, an entity within themselves, within the, the bigger franchise? Uh, look, yeah, there, there certainly is. Um, there, there, well, with it, with some players, that could be the case. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's a different dynamic over there. Um, you know, what I feel like, at least, you know, I can talk here in Australia because that's what I do know is that um, everyone understands that everyone employed by the club is there for the best interests of the player, but they want them to play their best football in, in this case um, and be the best athlete they can um, but play as often as possible whereas what I felt was there was in some ways a distrust at times because the players have their agents and often them and their agents will go about oh I want to see this surgeon or I want to do this or you know I want this opinion um, and I can't really trust the front office because because they can be cut and traded so easily um, there doesn't seem to be that loyalty so to, well, I don't even know if loyalty is the right word um, maybe trust within the organization that they're going to do the right thing for them so yeah they do they do tend to become a little bit more of a um, yeah, an entity as you said um, as in this is me and I need to look after me um, and yeah I'll do it the best way I think um, yeah that was interesting yeah, cool. yeah so moving back to moving back to what you're doing now Mm-hmm. Into rugby league, what what kind of stuff have you got there? First off, what kind of stuff have you got at Storm? Who, okay, who are you overseeing? Yep. So within the physical performance area, um, we have three um, 
physical preparation coaches, um, Dan DePasco, whose primary role is the strength, Adam Basil, whose primary role is the speed and, and conditioning, and Hal Marsden, who's primarily rehabilitation. And then we have two full-time physios, Maureen Jones, who's the head physio, and Chris Tandy, who's the other physio as well as rehabilitation, so he works closely with Hal. And then we have another physio, Andrew Naroki, who's a part-time physio there, and our doctor, Jason Chan. So there's, what's that, seven? Mm-hmm. Seven others so, and myself, yep. So in, in terms of the the kind of, did you, how, how did you split it, strength and power? Is one guy strength and power, did you well, say? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Okay. So in in terms of the strength and power stuff, how much how much um, kind of guidance are you giving that guy? Are you are yep. you setting kind of expectations and letting them get on with it, or are you planning and programming with them for them for them to deliver? Sure. Look, um, I guess when I f- when I got here, so Dan's the Dan in charge of the strength has been here uh, maybe seven or eight years. Um, Adam's been here a year. The other guys were all here for uh, the year beforehand. So, you know, that and, and Dean Benton, who's now with the English Rugby Union, was in my role before that. So, um, you know, they'd sort of um, set out on a path in terms of the, the program direction. Um, and Dean and I have a lot of similar philosophies, and, and we also have some different ideas, but, you know, a lot of similar philosophies on terms of how, how we think um, players should prepare for rugby league. Um, and so that already started down that path. What we did it at the start was we all sat down as a group and we discussed, you know, different philosophies in, in areas and how we wanted to go about that. And, and I gave them my, I guess, take on things. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is that we all need to look outside of our realm of expertise. And, and I think that you need to look at things from a football coach or a football coach's perspective as well, um, not as a strength coach, you know, like if I'm a football coach, how do I need this player to be better from a strength perspective, a running perspective, etc. Um, because sometimes I think as physical preparation coaches, you can get too tied up in your little areas of, of expertise, strength. Oh, as long as he's benching bigger, squatting bigger, whatever else, then I've done my job and that's then that's all that counts. And if you're not winning rugby league games and if you're not physically dominating your, play, your opposition on the field, you actually haven't done your job no matter how good the bench press is or the, or the squat. So... Um, we sit down and we talk about what our um, philosophies are for player development, but it's different for every player, you know, because no two players are alike. Um, obviously, you've got groupings of players, either from a physical perspective, a positional perspective um, in that aspect. But, uh, you know, the, the other beauty of our, I guess, our group is that everyone is willing to pitch in and help everyone else and, and we all have ideas and, and I try to encourage everyone to express those ideas and toss them up um, and we need to, you know, if, if I've got a thought positive or negative about any part of the program, I'm going to put it to those people and I want them to do the same about my role and everyone else's role and and that could, could lead to problems if you have insecure people um, that are trying to protect their role but if you've got um, you know, strong people that are secure in their roles and, and their knowledge and are open-minded, then I think it can work really well. Um, you know, and so, so we'll, we'll have a discussion about where we want to go, what's our, um, our general physical loadings for that week and how we want to go about it. You know, we have some set routines on a seven-day week, on a six-day week, on a 10-day week, how we want to go about our training. Um, but we, you know, we'll always have discussions every week about what we're trying to achieve that week and, and how we're going to go about it. But the nitty-gritty of are we doing a, you know, 
a squat with bands or chains or or not, or whether we're doing five sets of two or you know six sets of two or whatever else. Most of the time, I leave that to to Dan to decide. But there'll be times when I say, no, no, we need to back things up or crank it up, and and that's the same with our running work. You know, I sit down with Adam, we talk about what we're gonna, what we want to achieve from from the session from each individual player and, and how it works from that. So it's a collaborative approach, um, and and I think that. You know, there's a saying, I'm not going to buy a dog and buck myself. It's no good, <laughs> you know, employing all these intelligent people that are good coaches and then telling them exactly what to do. Um, you know, and so that's really important. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got into my um, Super League a little bit over the last couple of seasons. And one thing that, mm-hmm. one thing that um, I've noticed is firstly, the intensity is just incredible with these guys, but mm-hmm. the, the, also the speed of of the yep. of the guys on the field, even the bigger guys. Yep. What's your, what's your philosophy around um, building that speed for for a rugby league player in the NRL? Sure. Yep. Um, look, yeah, you're right. They are incredibly powerful. In general, most of them are. Some some guys aren't, but um, <laughs> you, you know uh, the ability to move well, the ability to move powerfully, and and that speed is is very important for rugby league. And the ability to endure that speed or that intensity over 80 minutes um, is also really important. So, you know, there's a number of things that come into it. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this, we go about um, in, in the early part of the preseason, we have a, a much higher technical emphasis on our speed, um, you know, but eventually everything has to come back to football like I said earlier and so it's no good having uh, you know this beautiful technical you know 100 meter sprinter type runner if they can't apply it to football so there's some basic principles of running technique that we want to apply but then we need to uh, distort it so to speak to the game Um, and we can do that both with and without the football but you know, eventually we get to the stage where our speed work is football skills done at speed. And, and, and um, football speed is not just about running fast. It's about timing, execution, you know, like how do I hit a hole at the right time? How do I you know, change my line so that I can hit the hole? Um, you know, my footwork done at speed, you know, those sort of things. So um, like I said, football speed isn't just running fast. It's about applying those principles of of running quickly um, within the within the context of a football game um, or football training, you know. So, um, yeah, that, that's how we sort of go about it, you know. Um, there's, there's evasion, there's footwork, there's reaction, there's coordination, um, there's awareness, you know. If this player's coming across here, I need to change my line earlier or later. Um, and all those things you can't do if all you ever do is just speed drills. You have to put it into a football context. So, you know, we work closely then with the coaches about, okay, we want to do f- speed this week, but we need to do football skills or football drills done at speed. You know, and if they're not fast enough, it's a waste of time. So they have to they have to make sure that they do their bit to, to get it happening as well. And they have to be creative in how they, how they um, you know, work out the drills to get what we want from a physical perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was actually my next question was that transition because that's getting into a very technical, coachy kind of world mm-hmm. in that, you know, timing and, and hitting the hole at the right time and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously got to be good communication there. Yep. Have you got any examples of um, where, the, where you might, where that might happen? So them, them specific drills where there is a, obviously a lot of the physical, but it's kind of technical as, as well. And there's that kind of 
work around and work together? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably not that I can talk to you about. You know, like no, you, cool. you need to, sh- as in not that I don't want to, but just um, as in, you know, sometimes I need to show you. But, you know, I sat down with the coaches at the start of the year. I, I mean, I'd done some um, little video presentations, you know, for coaching courses on on football speed, you know, and, and how we go about, um, you know, I took snippets of games where players exhibited what I call football speed. Um, so it's a slight change of direction and the ability to accelerate, hit a hole, adjust to a pass, those sort of things. Um, and some of the drills that we did before that, I sat down with the coaches and went through, hey, look, this is my idea of footy speed. What's your idea? And we sort of toss things backwards and forwards. Um, and then, you know, as time goes on, we'll, we'll implement drills that we want to use. Um, and, you know, I'll give them my feedback as in, that wasn't good enough. We didn't run hard enough. They weren't running fast enough. There wasn't, you know, good enough changes of direction. They'll give them. They'll give me their feedback, as in, well, you know, if you want to do it that way, that's not specific or, or applicable to how we play the game. You know, so it's a matter of going backwards and forwards until you find, you know, a number of drills that you think work really well, and we've got that. And so when we want to roll out footy speed, we've got a, probably an inventory of you know ten or twelve drills that that we can roll through and and do specific either to what we're trying to develop in terms of longer speed, shorter speed, or the position, you know, front rowers versus outside backs um, and, and that sort of stuff, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, the ability to run flat out and throw a 10-meter pass and hit the, hit the other player on the money is a really important skill, but so many times you see in a game, because they haven't done that, players, you know, they'll, they'll stuff it up. So just simple things like that are really important, yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, I've kept you for coming on seven minutes longer than I said I was going to. So I just want to round up that. Where can can people get in touch with you and keep up to date what you've got going on social media-wise? Look, I I have a Twitter account, but like to be honest with you, I haven't done anything on it. You know, like um, this probably doesn't sound that great, but I find Twitter – for me, depending on who you follow, is, is, a, is a really good source of information. Um, but unfortunately, I often don't have enough time to do anything myself. So um, that's one of the little goals is to try and get a little bit better with that. But yeah, I sort of stay fairly low-key in that area. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's cool, mate. That's, that's absolutely fine, mate. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they probably can't so- find me too much. <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's often a good thing. Yeah, often yeah. A good thing. yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, so I just want to thank you for your time. Yeah, I really nice. appreciate you, uh, you coming on and um, apologies for the for the mass stalking over the last couple no, of months. No, 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 that's my fault. <laughs> yeah, always disorganised, never got enough time. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's fine. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks, mate, and uh, we'll keep in touch and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate thanks, it. Okay, see ya. Thanks for tuning in to episode 145 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Lachlan. So massive thanks to the three sponsors, Coach Me Plus, Val Performance and Forstex. So we've got some good guests coming up over the next couple of weeks uh, and some really exciting news on the podcast uh, next week, uh, which I'll be able to share on Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of thing uh, next week. Well, start of next week, hopefully. Um, so really exciting time to the podcast, um, which I'm sure you'll hopefully appreciate. So thanks again for your support and I will speak to you soon.